You're listening to the PK Experience Podcast. My name is Peter King. I'm on the host of the show. Today, I sit down with New York Times bestselling author Steve Olsher. Steve wrote a book called What Is Your What? Discover the One Amazing Thing You Were Born to Do, which is what hit the New York Times bestselling list. Um, but he's also into many other things. He hosts a um, conference called the New Media Summit, which is something that helps podcasters grow their podcast. Obviously, something I'm interested in myself. Um, he's also the host of a radio show called Reinvention Radio, where he helps businesses and people reinvent themselves to maximize their potential. And he's also the host of another podcast called Beyond Eight Figures, which helps, uh, or I'm sorry, speaks to entrepreneurs and business owners that are at or beyond eight figures in revenue and or uh, has exited at eight figures or beyond. So uh, it's my pleasure to share this conversation with you today. Um, he's got a lot of things to say, but specifically really dive into the what is your what aspect of it so that you can find that one thing in your life that is most meaningful to you. And so you're not just spending your entire life going, 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 as we tend to do here in America anyway. Um, culture is so driven to um, achieve success, but as a mentor friend of mine once told me success without fulfillment is the ultimate failure. So this is a book about fulfillment. This is about a book uh, and a conversation about finding that one thing that you were born to do, that you were called to do, that really fulfills your soul and ultimately contributes to the greater good in, uh, in society. So I hope you take that into consideration as you listen to this. But with that, let's dive into the call. Here I am with Steve Olsher. All right, I'm here with Steve Olsher, the New York Times bestselling author of What Is Your What, amongst many other things. Steve, thank you so much for uh, taking some time today. Yeah, man, appreciate you having me on. Yeah, so the the very first uh, podcast episode that I did was with Simon Sinek, the uh, Start With Why, and I feel like this uh -huh. is like battle going on between, well, where do I begin? <laughs> do I start with my why? Do I start with my what? I haven't talked to a how guy yet, but I need to find a how guy. I feel like... It's a little yeah. bit of a Abbott and Costello game going on here. <laughs> um, so explain to people sort of what your approach is with your book, What Is Your What? And and then why that is so important. Yeah. You know, for me, and it's interesting, we um, – so I've had conversations with Simon uh, over the years. He was a, a guest on our show, Reinvention Radio. And, uh, and that was a fun little why versus what kind of conversation. <laughs> But uh, the best way to think about it is, and I love the work that Simon does, don't get me wrong. I mean, it's, um, it's important work. It's, it's super important work that he's doing. Um, and to me, though, your, your why is something that you can choose, right? Like it's something that is external. So if you think about it from the standpoint of I want to feed starving children in Africa or I want to provide clean drinking water around the world or I want to you know, have this nice – school district for my kids. I don't know, whatever it is, right? It's like, it's something that you can choose. And it's usually, and it usually has something to do with, uh, so it's external, right? Again, it's just outside of who you are. Mm -hmm. It's usually about helping someone else in some way or doing something for someone else. And I get that. And, uh, and I totally can appreciate that. Uh, for me, your the way to think about it is your, what is really that is, uh, it's kind of that which has chosen you. And it's not that which, you've which you have chosen, right? So it's internal. And I mean, you can spend a lifetime in denial about what that is. But reality, uh, if you look at the cover of the book there, I mean, you'll see it's just we've just got the DNA strand on there. It's like the only graphic element that we have on there. 
because I do believe that your what is really that which is in your DNA. It reflects how you're most naturally wired to excel. Uh, and when you are clear on the what is your what framework, which is comprised of your core gift, the primary vehicle you use to share that gift, and then the people that you're most compelled to serve, I mean, that's truly where the, the magic happens. And once you have clarity around the what is your what framework, it not only becomes, of course, this incredible gift that, that you have within, but also becomes this really incredible gift that uh, is of value to the world. That's a very fascinating take on that because I have often felt inversely that that the what seems very tangible and that the why is the inner calling. But I guess depending either or you, you call it a what or a why, there, there seems to be a calling and 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 then obviously that results in a tangible product or service or you know legacy ultimately. Yeah, and I mean Simon and I had a a little discussion around whether it's just a semantical debate and we're really just saying the same thing. Um, but, you know, I do, I don't think so. I mean, it's like if you, uh, like ESPN has a, um, uh, has a special that they're doing right now, I know, some sort of documentary where they sit down with uh, all of these really amazing basketball players, you know, Magic Johnson and Larry Bird and uh, LeBron James. I mean, you name it, right? And this one woman, and, I, and she looks so familiar, but I can't, I don't remember what her name is. Uh, but this one woman who uh, is a pro ball player for a, over a number of years, um, basically what she said, you know, something to the extent of, it chose me. And, and that's just kind of how I look at it, is your what really does choose you. You can choose what your why is. Got you it. know, I believe that you can choose what your why is. I don't think that you can choose your what. Got it. How, how did you How did you discover this? Like, walk me through your awakening to the value of this and, and your desire to share it. Yeah, and it's interesting, right? Because in Authorland, they say you write the book that you most need. So for me, that's it's really been the the personal journey that was captured here in the book, What Is Your What, is my own personal journey of trying to figure out how I'm naturally wired to excel. And I've struggled with that question, how am I naturally wired to excel, for most of my adult life. And having taken the Myers-Briggs and the What Colors Your Parachutes and Strengths Finders and those sort of things, I mean, all, all those modalities are great, but for me personally, they really left me with more questions than answers. And as I began having this sort of personal awakening, if you will, of moving from what I would call commodity-oriented businesses, where I'm just doing something to make a buck, to doing something from a career perspective that actually provides more fulfillment and is more than just helpful to me and those closest to me, but uh, you know, really helpful to, to others as well. Um, as I began teaching a lot of what I had found to uh, be, uh, let's just say that it, it works uh, in in the real world, right? The strategies that I had learned how to learn how to leverage and, and formalize uh, to help in my world, either personally or professionally. Uh, and as I began to teach some of those strategies, uh, what became uh, increasingly evident, as I began working with people, is that they too were searching for 
a solution that could really help them hit the ground running and be able to do something with the information uh, that goes beyond just simply, you know, hey, I, I, I like sports or, hey, you know, I, I really just, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a teacher or something of this nature. Right. The the fact of the matter was that as as I began working with these folks, it just became so clear that there truly are only three things that you need in order to to find fulfillment and to achieve what some would call success, right? Which is, again, just understanding what your natural gift is, whether it's teaching or healing or communicating or enrolling or protecting, et cetera. I mean, we all have a, a core gift, but knowing what that gift is isn't enough. Right? I mean, you need to know what to do with that gift. And so that's where it then became clear that, okay, there's there's more to it than just that. You, you got to understand how you're going to share that gift. And so what I call it is the vehicle. And what is the primary vehicle that you're going to use then to share that gift? Mm-hmm. So in this case, if, if healing is your core gift, and let's say the primary vehicle that you're going to use to share that gift is is massage, I mean, that's that's a step in the right direction. But to really hit the ground running and be able to start serving and start charging, you need to have clarity on the people and who the people are that you're most compelled to serve. And it's really just that simple is once you have clarity on your gift, on the vehicle and the people, now we can actually start doing something Mm -hmm. and you can actually begin moving down a path today once you have those answers. And that was the journey that I was on is really trying to figure out those pieces of the puzzle so that I could start with something and dig into something that would not only be personally fulfilling, but also could be uh, monetarily uh, fulfilling and lucrative as well. So that's that's a big part of it, of course. Um, you know, I might my gift might be uh, I could make intricate basket weavings. You know what I mean? But can I make a living on that? I don't know. So how do you? How do so you... I would actually say that creating is probably then in that example probably your core gift. Okay. Right. So you're so you're more of a creator. You're a, you're a creative type person. So creating would probably be your core gift in that example. Um, and basket weaving would be the vehicle. <laughs> that you use to share that gift for. And then the question is, you know, who are you most compelled to serve? You're going to be a basket weaver. Maybe you're doing picnic baskets, but you could also be doing hot air balloon baskets. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. And those are two very different markets. Uh, I, I'm actually only a very modest uh, basket <laughs> weaver, so I don't want to uh, mislead you. Um, so how do how do people find their gift? What's the process through which they they discover that calling within? Well, Look, I'm not, I'm not going to sit here and, and try to make this into a 30-minute or 40-minute or an hour-long advertorial for the book, um, but I will say that finding that gift is a lot more difficult uh, than a lot of people realize. So uh, there is a specific exercise um, in the book called The Seven Seeds of Your Soul, uh, which helps people bring to the surface exactly what that core gift is. And... You know, a lot of people get hung up on the on the gift part of the equation because they're good at a couple of different things and they feel like, you know, they have more than just that one gift. And what do you do in that case? And so, like, as an example, you may find that communicating is definitely a gift of yours. And you also may find that teaching is a gift of yours. 
But when you really sit down and you think about it, I believe that even if it's just a, a 51-49 type edge, I, I do believe that one of those gifts has a slight edge over the other, even though it may be very, very close and you may be very good at both. I do believe that there is still one core gift uh, that that is even perhaps just a, a wee little bit more dominant. Some, in some cases, it's just completely dominant. Uh, but in some cases, it could be just slightly dominant over another gift. But the answer is you find that gift, uh, in at least in my process, by going through the seven seeds of your soul. Got it. Um, which, you know, understandably is not something that we could potentially uh, extrapolate over the course of uh, just a short podcast episode. But yeah. um, is a, are there categories of gifts? So you've mentioned so far like teaching, healing, communicating, creating. Um, Entertaining, enrolling, protecting. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So um, are there – it's helpful for my mind to, to, to think more macro as we start to zoom in. Are there at least – is there a handful of – of gift categories that people could start to think of themselves within? Um, yeah, I mean, we don't really have it broken down in categories per se, but you know, some of them are going to be a little more cerebral, so to speak, and others are going to be a little more tangible and implementable, yes, so to speak, right? And so, but again, when you look at it from the standpoint of the vehicle, the vehicle could be very esoteric or could, or it could be very hands-on, right? So it is it is an interesting uh, framework to work with people on uh, because as I watch them go through this process of discovering what their what is and then seeing how it really breaks down into, you know, into uh, these specific categories, uh, what ends up happening is more often than not, um, the vehicle that they, I don't want to say select, because I do believe that at, at some point it selects them as opposed to them selecting it, but the vehicle uh, that they that they end up moving forward with, uh, in, in some cases, really helps them to define then what their core gift is. So in other words, you don't have to start with the gift to get to the vehicle, to get to the people. Sometimes you could start with the people that you're most compelled to serve. Yes. To then figure out how you want to serve them, which will then help you back into understanding, oh, wow, this this actually is my core gift. Right. So it's not like you have to start with one to get to the other. Mm -hmm. And so I, we don't throw them into categories per se. But, yeah, of course, they kind of run the gamut from, again, sort of esoteric ish to cerebral to more hands on and, and so forth. But even like teaching is a core gift, as you can see could take on a number of different iterations as far as the vehicle is concerned. Sure. It occurred to me a couple summers ago when I went to work for a friend who was a logger, I wanted to do something to get out of the, the off behind my desk and, and get my hands dirty and sweat and all that. And uh, he said, yeah, you can come out and help me cut down some trees and that kind of thing. And I, I got out there and after I had broken, I think my fourth or fifth uh, adjuster <laughs> on this chainsaw, I went to him. I said, look, what am I doing wrong? And he just looked at me and he's like, I, I don't know what to tell you because I've never done that. I've been doing this for 30 years. You've broken more <laughs> gestures than I have in decades. And I and it occurred to me that he just has a natural gift at, at his hand. Like he can build things. He just gets yeah. it. And, and I'm I'm more of the intellectual space and the – um, you know, and at the same time, he said, if you can come over and help me with that computer, because I have no idea how that damn thing works. 
right? <laughs> right. So it, it, that that illuminated, at least for me, these different sort of categories of strengths or gifts that people have in 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 their ability to to work with their hands, their mind, or their heart. You know, with their passion or their social, uh, they're good with people, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Uh, as far as the people goes um, and who you're serving, do you have any tips on how to how to narrow down that uh, group of people? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. So in the book, um, part of what I step people through is the creation of what I call an ABP statement. Uh, apple, boy, potato, ABP. Um, and so an ABP statement is really all about helping you understand uh, what your attributes are, what your beliefs are, uh, and what your perspectives are. And what what I often find is that the people that we are most compelled to serve uh, are the people who most reflect who we inherently are, right? I mean, like as a, as a man, you could serve other men uh, in, in a way that uh, a woman can't, right? Not that a woman couldn't. But, you know, as a man, we just have a, a, a certain understanding of, you know, of how things are um, in the world of, of, of being a man. Right. right. So, yep. <laughs> um, you know, if you've if you've been diagnosed with um, with cancer uh, and you've uh, survived cancer, uh, you could talk to people who have been afflicted with with cancer in a way that others simply can't. As a matter of fact, uh, a friend of mine, Johnny Immerman who started out as a commercial real estate broker, he was diagnosed with testicular cancer, uh, ended up beating it, ended up going into remission, ended up beating it again. And after having gone through everything that he went through and seeing in this hospital ward how people were suffering alone, and yet he was always surrounded by friends and family, he swore that if he was going to beat this, uh, he was never going to, to let anyone who was afflicted with cancer suffer uh, alone again, and he started something called Immerman Angels, which matches cancer sufferers which cancer, with cancer survivors and allows them to support one another. Mm. Um, but, you know, reality is, and I'm, and I'm giving you a long story here, is he would not have created Immerman Angels 12, 14, 15 years ago if he hadn't been afflicted with cancer. Now, it's interesting because as a commercial real estate broker, the core gift that he is using now and used then is enrolling, right? I mean, his core gift is enrolling. He had to enroll people in the vision of seeing what could happen here in this commercial real estate space. Mm-hmm. Whereas now he's enrolling people in terms of supporting immigrant angels and providing donations or enrolling cancer survivors to support cancer sufferers and enrolling cancer sufferers to be open to working with someone and, and being mentored by someone who has beat this, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so the the vehicle and the people can change over time, right? Because in that example, if you look at Johnny, like the people he was serving at that point as a commercial real estate broker were like developers and office building owners and so on. Now the people that he's most compelled to serve are are those who have been afflicted with cancer, right? So the vehicle and the people are more organic. That's more evolutionary. That can change over time. Uh, but I do believe that the core gift, in fact, stays the same throughout. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, so you got to go through that ABP statement and really look at those attributes and those beliefs and those perspectives. And in a lot of that, uh, you will find that subset of the population that you're most compelled to serve. 
Gotcha. Um, that's super helpful. Um, so do you have other examples of people that have gone through this whole process um, and uh, have discovered their what and in what ways are they impacting the world? Yeah, for sure. Uh, I'll share one of my favorite stories, uh, which is a gentleman by the name of Joe Amoya. And Joe and I met, um, God, my word, it's been uh, about 10 years since I've known Joe. Um, and when I first met Joe, he was, uh, he was a chiropractor. And, you know, he had gone through uh, the whole process of becoming a chiropractor in terms of going to school and investing heavily to, to get his degree and then invested even more to open up his, his own practice. Uh, and so he had this, you know, thick book of, of paying clients who would come in week after week after week after week, right? I mean, just people that he worked with who's making great money. And on the surface, you'd look at him and you go, dang, you know. He's got it really, really good. He's got this great uh, business of being a healer. So healing is his core gift. And the vehicle that he's using to share that gift is chiropracting. And the people that he's most compelled to serve are those who you know, want to live better, more uh, comfortable lives uh, without pain, right? And so those were the people that were serving. But he woke up one day and he said, I just I just can't do this anymore. Like I'm making good money doing it, but my heart's just absolutely not in this. Mm -hmm. And after he really sat down and thought about things, I mean, he he knew in his heart of hearts that the, the core gift of healing wasn't going anywhere. Like he was just a natural healer. But the vehicle had to change and the people that he was serving had to change. Mm -hmm. And what he realized in having a lot of conversations with people who often asked him about his relationship with his wife because uh, they had a really nice relationship and been married for, I think, you know, 20 years or so when I had met him. He found himself answering a lot of relationship questions. And the more that he answered those questions and the more that he worked with people on getting to having a, a similar type of relationship as he and his wife had, the more he realized uh, that he really wants to help single women find love and give them insight in terms of, you know, how do you attract a man and what is it that men are looking for and so on and so forth. And he realized that he had this this gift uh, of helping women heal uh, that part of themselves that, you know, they wanted to be in relationship but couldn't for whatever reason and to be able to help move them through that. So uh, fast forward now and now he, uh, you know, he helps single women find love. I mean, it's, it's what he does. It's his business. And... And a lot of people looked at him and said he was crazy, you know, for getting out of the world of chiropractor where he's making great money uh, and moving into this world where he was making nothing. Mm -hmm. uh, but over time, he's been able to build up a, a really nice uh, book of, of clients and, and is doing really well for himself. But, you know, again, the, the vehicle changed and, the, and of course, the people uh, that he is most compelled to serve changed. But the core gift of healing remained the same. But at the same token, if you look at the people, people were in physical pain when they were dealing with him, uh, you know, from being a chiropractor versus being in emotional pain mm. of not being able to find love. And so the pain component of this is still very much the same, just physical versus emotional. And the vehicle just switched out. Right. Yep. So it's just interesting to see how all of this really ties together and plays together. Uh, but he's never been happier. 
uh, and it's just it's just it's just such an interesting story to me. I was just gonna say, I mean the the trajectory of someone's life who is doing something that they feel fulfilled doing and that they feel called to do versus doing something that technically still, as you mentioned, is still within his core gift, but wildly different day to day experience. I mean, it's no wonder why so many people are unhappy. You know, yeah. they're just not. I forget what the the statistics are, but um, most people, most Americans anyway, at least, are just unfulfilled. They're not happy. And, um, you know, there's a book, um, I think it was Five Things You Must Know Before You Die or something like that. And one of those things that they talked about, or one of the regrets that a lot of elderly people had was just not doing the thing that they felt called to do that they loved doing. Yeah, um, it's such an important conversation and something that we hardly give time to to really think about. So the, the work that you're doing, I think, is really, uh, really necessary, and needed work. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. And, you know, reality is I do think that soci- from a societal perspective, we put a lot of pressure on ourselves to find that fulfillment. And a lot of the modalities that are out there right now, um, you know, unfortunately, just exas- exacerbate a lot of that frustration. Mm hmm. Because they they don't give you what you need to really hit the ground running. Like in in and I'll say it to you from this standpoint, which is, you know, look, I'm not one who's gonna sit here and tell you to to up and quit your day job simply because you figure out what your what is. I mean, you have to be willing to move into this state of transition where you're able to replace the income that you're currently generating from what it is that you don't want to be doing with income from what it is that you truly do want to be doing, right? And a lot of people uh, just don't have that that patience. But I want you just to to really embrace the notion that there are a lot of hours in the day. You know, I mean, you can you can work on bringing your what to fruition. Uh, wake up another hour early, right? I mean, like put an hour in before you go to work. You know, rather than turning on the TV and watching Dancing with the Stars and Monday Night Football and whatever else. You know, put those three, four, five hours before you go to bed. Yep. into working your what uh, the weekend right i mean let's get into this saturday sunday and the same token you know you could just volunteer and just kind of immerse yourself in that particular field to see if it's something you actually do want to do because a lot of people find that you know i want to work with the homeless well you start working with the homeless and you find that you just don't love it for whatever reason well if you just up and quit your day job to make that happen rather than just going and volunteering for you know 10 hours a week to really put yourself in that environment, uh, you could you, you could be cutting off your nose despite you know despite your face so to speak, right? Yeah. So you could also just immerse yourself in that world, uh, even just on a on a very 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 part time basis first, and you may find that uh, yeah this is absolutely something that I want to be doing, uh, or you may find that there's a parallel track next to it which actually makes even more sense. Mm-hmm. Right. So maybe it's not even working with the homeless so much as it's creating housing for the homeless. Right. So you never know until you get into that world and you immerse yourself. Um, This just came to me. Why do you think that it's not natural? Why is it? Why is it not something? I mean, why are people often so compelled to do something that goes against what their deeper calling is? Uh, Because it's a slippery slope, man. In the slippery slope pretty much starts right out of high school and that slippery slope is okay you got to go on to college and you got to get that piece of paper you got to get that degree and you go and you get that degree and now you got some debt so now you got to take a job to start paying for that debt 
and a little bit of money comes in and you're like, oh, this is pretty good. I'm going to I'm going to move out of this dump and, and go to a, a nicer one bedroom over here. And, you know, I'm tired of taking Ubers and I'm tired of taking public trans. So I'm going to get a car and, you know, and I like to go on some dates and I got to get some nice, you know, nice clothes and so on and so forth. You got to pay for the date. So before you know it, you've got five thousand dollars a month in in expenses. And so that job that you took, which was just going to be temporary until you really started digging into what your what is and finding that fulfillment. You know, now you've got this sixty thousand dollar a year nut that you've got to cover every single year, right? And so it's pretty hard to get out of that, man, unless you're willing to to really shake things up. Which once you get comfortable, it's really hard to to go to a place of discomfort. Uh, absolutely, absolutely. Enter midlife crisis. <laughs> right. That, that, that seems to be the time when, you know, some people come back, uh, get above water, so to speak, because, you know, oftentimes in your 30s, you're in the rat race and you're dealing with kids. And and uh, it's kind of the first time you can kind of come up for air and go, wait and reassess. Where am I? Yeah. Um, uh, I have no experience in that whatsoever. I just <laughs> I've heard people go through something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, what um, it, this is a little bit of a tangent, but what was your what was your upbringing like? What wh- where did you grow up? So I grew up in uh, in in Skevenston, Skevenston. which is uh, yeah, it's uh, it's the combination of Skokie and Evanston, just out of, outside of Chicago, and uh, and we called it Skevenston because we lived in Skokie, but we were in the Evanston school district. Okay. So go figure. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so just grew up just north of uh, of Chicago and. Uh, and the Evanston School District was very, very mixed. Um, and so our high school was basically half white, half black. Um, I found myself pretty immersed in, in black culture from from a very young age and uh, got into house music and uh, DJing and played the drums and, and the whole nine. Uh, but, you know, the upbringing was, um, for lack of a better term, kind of lower middle class. I mean, I never went hungry, but yeah, we, we didn't exactly have all the, you know, the luxuries that a lot of people had, but you know, reality is we had enough. And, um, and yeah, man, you know, it was, it was an interesting, it was an interesting childhood kids, uh, you know, like typical kids, man, you know, we got in our fair share of trouble and did our fair share of good things as well. But, uh, Folks got divorced when uh, when I was seven, and uh, my mom remarried uh, at ten to a guy that, uh, for the better part of twelve years, fourteen years or so, I really did not like, uh, and uh, and that made for uh, an interesting childhood from from ten to about twenty twenty four. One of the reasons why I asked you that was how how connected to one's upbringing do you feel that one's what is that they're calling is? Yeah, I mean, I think that there's. There's definitely a correlation there between the upbringing and how quickly one is able to get into what their what is. Some parents can work with their kids to help them find it right away by exposing them to a lot of different things. Uh, And they by exposing them to all these different walks of life and different uh, vocations and different activities and so on, they may find something that really sticks for them. Uh, others don't have that um, ability to to expose them to a lot of things, um, and if that's the case, then you know you got to get older and figure it out uh, on your own. But uh, at the same token, there's also conversations around the dinner table, yeah. and a lot of families don't talk around the dinner table at all. And certainly, 
Uh, a lot of them do not talk about uh, what their children's what is and, and how to help them understand what it is that they might be compelled to do. And, you know, it's, uh, it is interesting how uh, one of my favorite expressions uh, is what we don't transform, we transfer. Mm-hmm. And you, you see that a lot generationally. And fortunately now with access to information and everything that's going on online, uh, we've got access to more content and data and entertainment and education and information than ever before. So some people, in spite of themselves, uh, are able to get access to the information that they need to make powerful decisions. Yes. Uh, you know, one of the one of the fears I think that a lot of parents have is that, you know, they can potentially hurt or damage their children in ways that they weren't even aware that they were doing, um, which is kind of what you were talking about with respect to knowing uh, 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 or I'm sorry, earlier in your book when you talked about the four stages of learning. Can you explain mm. what those four stages are? Yeah. Um, so basically, uh, if you're familiar uh, with the conscious competence learning stages model, uh, that's that's what the four stages of learning are. It's built around uh, just the – I'll step you through it briefly here. Um, but basically, the conscious competence learning stages model uh, is built around the understanding there are four stages of learning. The first stage of learning is when we sit in – uh, in our stage of what we call the uh, what we would call unconscious incompetence, where uh, we just don't know what we don't know, and and, and a lot of people will spend their entire lives uh, operating from that as their general state of mind, where things happen to you and you just don't know why. Uh, it could be good, it could be bad, but we're just kind of in that that uh, state of, of blindness, so to speak. And reality is that. Um, but when you're in that state of unconscious incompetence, uh, you just don't really have the ability to, to kind of put the pieces of the puzzle together, right? Uh, again, and this and those pieces of the puzzle could be uh, from the standpoint of you know, really understanding what you do well and mm-hmm. having clarity on, on how you're naturally wired to excel and what it is that you do well. Uh, it could also be you know, what don't you do well, right? And what works to your detriment? And it's kind of that definition of insanity where we continue to do the same things and expect a different result. I mean, that's really living in a state of unconscious incompetence because we we just can't see it, right? Either you're just too close to it or you don't see the correlations or whatever it might be. Uh, and that can be very frustrating. And a lot of people spend the majority of their life in that state of unconscious incompetence where they really do feel like things are completely... Um, out of control, mm-hmm. right? The and, against them and that kind of thing. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And and so once you move to the next stage in terms of conscious incompetence, where now you at least recognize that you have deficiencies in certain areas of your of your life, you can now at least have that sense of awareness that allows you to move to stage three which is now having um, what, what we would call conscious competence, which is basically where you can give thought to, I want to make X, Y, or Z happen, and you can make it happen, but you really have to feel through and be consciously aware of that process. And so it's like if I want to, um, let's just say, play a, a sport, 
and I want to make a layup. But I haven't played for, you know, if we're using Malcolm Gladwell, I mean, we haven't, if you haven't played for 10,000 hours and you can't just lay up the ball anytime you want and make it go in, you know, then you really just have to think about the process versus like a Michael Jordan who has reached or he's older now. I don't He probably has to think about it more now. Um, but, you know, back in the day, I mean, it's like game six against Portland. You know, you drop six threes in the first half and you're trotting back towards half court, just kind of shrugging your shoulders going, I don't know. You know, I just I just threw the ball up and it went in, man. Yeah. I don't know. Right. And so that is the final sta- uh, stage there of the conscious competence learning stages model, uh, which is unconscious competence, where you're literally able to create your desired results without having to think about the process. And and when you are operating in your in your zone, you know, your zone of genius or I mean, whatever it is that you want to call it. And that's that's really where uh, you're working on in that in that stage four there of having unconscious competence. Mm -hmm. And, you know, very few people will arrive at stage four in any area of their life outside of just breathing and and walking and talking. Right. I mean, because you don't really think about breathing. It just happens. You don't really think about talking. It just happens. Right. Mm -hmm. So but outside of those core basic functionalities, a lot of people will just never reach stage four in in any area of their life. And in order for you to really be able to fulfill what you are, what is, I do think you need to be aware of what works to your benefit and what works to your detriment and have a clear understanding of, of how you're naturally wired to excel. Yeah, this um, I believe I heard this model explained to me before and they were talking about um, addicts and, you know, somebody who's, say, addicted to smoking. Um, they are in that conscious um, incompetence space where they know it's bad for them. They're trying to quit. They're trying to move that level three, but they Mm -hmm. really haven't identified level one, why they're addicted in the first place because the addiction is really just a symptom to the the psychological Mm -hmm. void that they haven't really addressed yet. Sure. Um, and then somebody, as they were just uh, sharing this, that somebody said, "Well, you know, I'm not a, I'm a not, I haven't smoked in five years, so I'm in level four. And the person said, uh, the the trainer at the time said, "Well, you're really not in level four yet because you're still identifying as a non-smoker. You're still a smoker mm-hmm. who hasn't smoked, as opposed yeah. to somebody who's who who doesn't smoke or who doesn't have an addiction to smoking. We don't." I don't, I don't, I don't wake up thinking about, I really, I'm not going to smoke. Yeah. I need to not smoke. (laughs) I embody a non-smoker. I don't even think about, you know, I'm 42 years uh, of non-smoking. So yeah. Yeah. It totally makes sense. And for those who want to look up the conscious competence learning stages model, it's Dr. Thomas Gordon. Um, that's, that's who created that. Okay. Um, you mentioned something at the beginning of this uh, explanation where you talked about not necessarily knowing what you really do well, and I think I think that is actually something that is is a very powerful awakening for people because if they are naturally competent in something, they may uh, uh, devalue it. It just may be so mm-hmm. easy to them. Um, and you know, we've we've come across those people in our lives where they're just naturals at. Um, social settings, at sales, yeah. at uh, numbers, at whatever that thing may be. And, and yet they go, Oh, you know, I just, I, I I'm just, I'm not happy or I'm, and it's, and it's like they've, un, they're unwilling to accept that what they actually are gifted at is tre- truly genuinely valuable. Yeah. Um, 
and, and that can be very, very difficult for other people to accomplish the same sort of thing. So I think yeah. I think bringing that level of awareness is is potentially very um, transformative for people who who haven't done that yet. Yeah, I think there's just simply a matter of uh, of kind of getting past the guilt, right? And so there are folks who, especially those who have had, um, let's just say that um, their upbringing was less than supportive, you know, and they heard things over the years about who they are and why they are and how they are and all of this, right? So uh, if you if you think about it from that standpoint, uh, when you've been told you're not going to be Jack, you're not going to be this, you're not going to be that. And then you find something that comes as naturally to you as breathing, where, you know, you would you would do it even if you didn't get paid to do it, because you're just you're just that it just that aligned with who you are. You know, reality is that when it happens for folks, a lot of those people take a step back and go, I don't deserve this. Mm-hmm. or I should be working harder, or there should be more of a struggle. And, you know, don't get me wrong, there is, there, there's a lot to be learned through adversity, right? I mean, there's a lot to be learned through trial and tribulation and, and error and so on and so forth. But at the same token, it doesn't mean that, you know, simply because, uh, let's just say that you are compelled to draw you shouldn't have to succumb to life as a starving artist, right? I mean, you should be paid extraordinarily well for what comes as naturally to you as breathing. Most of us, however, feel guilty about why should I get paid for this when it comes so easy to me when there are other people who are struggling mightily to be able to do, you know, anything in terms of making ends meet and putting bread on the table. And so that's, you know, that that's probably a discussion for a psychiatrist chair, (laughs) but, but it's true. You know, it is, is uh, completely true that if it comes really easy, then some folks will just stand up and say, you know, this, this isn't something that I should be able to do for a living because it comes too easily to me. Yeah. That's such a funny, um, disconnect that we humans tend to have for some reason. Um, how do you, how would you describe what, what, if somebody was to ask you, what is your, what, how do you answer that? You know, it's an interesting cop out at this point. I've, <laughs> I've come to the conclusion of, um, because my, my, what truly at this point of my life. And again, if you remember from earlier parts of the conversation here, I do believe that the vehicle that you use to share your, what, and, and the, and the people that you're most compelled to serve, I do believe that that is more organic, more fluid, uh, but my my core gift is and, and continues to be communicating. And as I put all the pieces of the puzzle together, really what my my what is uh, boils down to the people that I'm most compelled to serve, uh, which are those people who are looking to either discover, share or monetize their what. And as an entrepreneur who has created four multimillion dollar businesses uh, over the course of uh, the 25 year plus career as an entrepreneur, uh, I will tell you that I am uniquely qualified, uh, of course, to help people discover their what, uh, but also to help them share and monetize it. Uh, and that truly has become my what uh, for the last 10 plus years, uh, which is helping people discover, share and monetize theirs. So you've got the book. What other uh, offerings do you have? Do you guys do 
retreats or, or if somebody wanted to, to work with you to discover their what, where yeah. they go? Yeah, I mean, the the book is obviously the best place to start as far as discovering their what. Most of what I do from a uh, from a monetization standpoint in terms of my personal business now is uh, helping people share and monetize, right? So uh, what I find is that once you are clear on what your what is, you, you have to then go through the process of really understanding how to reach people with your what and creating that visibility and creating that credibility and that authority. Um, and one of the ways that I've been able to do it is you've been able to do it is through podcasting, mm -hmm. right? I mean, I've been, I've been podcasting since 2009. Uh, and so one of the core offerings that we have uh, at this juncture is an event called the New Media Summit. And the New Media Summit is an event where I bring in 40 top podcasters uh, and I give 150 attendees the opportunity to learn from us and to pitch us on who they are and what they do uh, and to literally get booked on the spot because you get booked on those shows you're going to be able to get uh, you know, more visibility, more credibility, more authority. Uh, you're going to be able to generate leads, uh, highly targeted leads, right, when you understand exactly what to do when you appear on those shows. Uh, and then if you um, have clarity around, you know, what your offerings are, your products, your programs, your services, uh, once you have those leads and you have those conversations, you can then enroll people uh, into uh, what I would call the most relevant offerings that, that you have. And mm -hmm. so... Uh, so the New Media Summit is uh, is a great way for people to get massive visibility quickly by getting booked on top shows. Uh, and then if they come to the event and they want to work with me more on monetization, uh, then we have something called our Icon Maker Program. And our Icon Maker Program uh, is a year-long guidance, accountability, and done-for-you program where we really help people uh, share and monetize their what is the, the best way to put it. Okay. Uh, where's the New Media Summit? So we just uh, just wrapped one up, and uh, our next one is February in Florida. Okay. So yeah, February so in Florida is the, the next one. Changes and then, then from. It does, event. yeah. Okay. So September 2019 uh, will be San Diego. February 2019 uh, is Tampa, and uh, and so yeah, we we move it around. Cool. What would you say are the three things that you want people to remember you by? Um. More than anything else, just that I was a decent human being. You know, there's a lot, there's a lot of um, bad people. <laughs> there's, there's a lot of bad people out there. Yeah. Um, so number one, you know, if, if I'm going to come up in conversation, I just hope that people say, yeah, you know, that was that was a decent human being. Uh, number two, I want them to say that you know, I was a good husband uh, and a good father and, uh, and, and did well by my family. Uh, and number three. Um, I'd love for people to say that I, I, I said something that, uh, at least once in a while was worth hearing. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think you've already achieved that one, so we can check that box. Um, but the, uh, when, when you talked about being a good person or uh, there's probably a lot of bad people, admit just for some reason in my head, I, I went back to your, what do you call it again? Where you grew up? Oh, Skevinston. Yeah. Skokie and Evanston. Just yeah. the horrible, <laughs> the horrible bullies in Skevinston. Yes, right. <laughs> did you ever get bullied? Uh, I did actually by a really mean girl once, um, and uh, by a couple other uh, folks over time. Yeah, it uh, for sure I got bullied. What and was the, um, what was the worst time you got bullied? Ah, uh, you know there was this there was this one older kid. I think I was in probably I don't know third grade, and there was this sixth grader because we went through a K to eight. Um, then there was a, a sixth grader that just would not. 
leave me alone. I don't know. Something happened on the park. I think I juked him out in a game of football, and uh, and that was pretty much all downhill from there. It's so funny. I, I, uh, it occurred to me literally like a month ago, uh, there was a couple of guys that bullied me, and I'm like, I wonder what those guys are up to. And in the world we live in, I jumped on Facebook, and there they were. So I shot him a friend request. I haven't heard back from either one of them. But I, I you know, I, it's kind of interesting to see uh, what what a bully's life uh, evolved Yeah, it turned into. out to be. Hey, you know, I mean, I, I will be the first to tell you, I didn't, uh, I didn't peak in grammar school. I didn't peak in uh, junior high, and I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't peak in high school. So, uh, fortunately, I still had more runway. A lot of those folks peaked in high school, or, or you know, or, or junior high, or whatever. And, uh, you know, I, I think if you're going to peak, that's not exactly the time to that's do it. Right. Listen, <laughs> listen closely, bullies. Um, <laughs> Uh, yeah, I had a guy used to, uh, I used to ride my bike by his house and he would stop me and he literally from his room in the house, yell at me to stop. And of course I was freaked out. So I'd stop and then he'd come out with a baseball bat and smash my bike. And then he'd go, okay. It was like a toll I had to pay. And then I'd get on my like wobbly broken bike and kind of, oh Lord, I'm like, what, what is the point of that? Right. Um, That's funny. Yeah. But, but anyway. not. Uh, yeah. Well, we are we are getting uh, close on time here, so I want to be respectful of that. But um, I do want the listeners to be aware that they can get a free copy of your book. Is that correct? It um, is. Yeah. Uh, uh, what is your what? You can discover the one thing that you were born to do. You can get that at www.whatisyourwhat.com forward slash free. Um, what other yeah, you don't even you don't don't even need the free at this point. Just what is your what dot com. Okay. Yep. So just yep. what, what is, is your what dot com. com. Um, any other uh, resources that you'd like to share for for folks? Well, I mean, I know we've been talking a lot about what is your what and and so on. Um, so what is your what is a, a great place to start. And again, we do give away the entire New York Times bestseller there. Uh, if you are interested in getting booked on on podcasts or potentially coming to the New Media Summit, uh, one of the resources that we give away. Uh, is a resource called the Ultimate Directory of Podcasters, which actually features 670 leading podcasters, including their contact information. Uh, so if you want to, if you're in that share and monetize mode, if you need more eyeballs and eardrums on what you're doing, um, I certainly think that uh, grabbing a free copy of the Ultimate Directory of Podcasters and uh, following the steps that we show you there about how to connect with them could be helpful for you. So uh, maybe go to myultimatedirectory.com and uh, and pick up a free copy of uh, that ultimate directory. Okay, very cool. Well, before I let you go, I do want to ask you, do you know what your why is? Uh, <laughs> you know, it's interesting, right? So I, I do think that um, my why is is yet to really reveal itself. Hmm. You know, I've, I've had lots of opportunities to do, um, for lack of a better term, bigger, types of things, uh, especially over the last few years as more of those opportunities have uh, have come my way. Uh, and reality is, you know, I'm uh, I'm fairly comfortable at this point. Uh, house is paid for, cars are paid for. Uh, I'm just uh, able to spend ample time with my wife and my kids. Um, and I don't really want anything to get in the way of that right now, man. So I think I think my why is just uh, this this family unit at the moment. And making sure that the uh, the kids and the wife are happy, yeah. and uh, and we'll see what evolves after that. That's a significant one, of course, uh, and obviously helping other people discover their what um, and their calling is yeah. uh, is is very purposeful and why driven as well. 
Steve, yeah. thank you so much for your time today, man. It was it was great. Uh, I know a lot. Uh, the listeners are going to get a lot out of this, so thanks. Yeah, man. Appreciate you having me on. All right, take care.